0: welcome to weekday worship weekday day
1: worship there we go <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have a special guest with us on the pod today welcome in we are recording with some new technology in a new studio location still At the church, but on the stage with trying to get a third voice in here with good sound quality. I'm so grateful that Scotty's the new sound technician for these couple of episodes. I am your host, James Rowell, in place of the venerable Caleb Hawkins, who's out having a baby. Well, he's not out having a baby today. Natalie's having a baby today. And we are welcoming into the podcast my sweet wife, Betsy Rowell. Welcome, Betsy. Thanks. (laughs)
2: Thanks. <laughs> I, I almost laugh when you say you're sweet wise. <laughs> Most don't, people don't describe don't me that way. <laughs> <as sweet>. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced you
0: as 90% sweetness. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's pretty good. Um, um, this is kind of like, so Betsy's been on the podcast before, but it's been a very long, you were on uh, in 2020 when we first started doing the podcast, Caleb did an interview with you and this is my first time having you on the podcast. With yeah. I actually
1: together. asked Betsy today. Do you feel like a third uh, wheel? So. I mean, a little bit. You guys are giving each other the googly eyes over here, saying how sweet your wife is. <laughs> but I asked Betsy when she came in, I was like, Betsy, have you ever been on the podcast before? And she quite ferociously reprimanded me for not having <laughs> remembered her episode back in 2020.
2: Oh, goodness. You just
0: confirmed her suspicions that some people don't see her as sweet.
2: Listen, I think I was sweeter back then. You think so? <laughs> yeah, just four um, short years ago. But this is kind
0: of like, I feel like, it's like our first. It's like our first podcast date.
2: I've never been on it with you.
0: That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah just so a chaperone over here. I feel here. kind of like. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I feel a little uh, warm fuzzies inside. Got little, some butterflies. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. A little nervous energy over here. Like, I, if I blow it, is she gonna ever want to be on the podcast with me again?
1: Yeah. Or? For everyone listening, James is sweating right now. I can see a bead of sweat <laughs> drop. How would down our space.
2: conversations change if they were all recorded like this? Uh, we'd
0: probably be a little nicer to each yeah. other. I think we'd still interrupt each other. I think. That might be worth preparing people for. Betsy and I serially interrupt one another. So being on the podcast, <laughs> that's why we needed a third mic and a third channel on the recording was because we would talk over each other too much otherwise. And, um, we do it lovingly. Um, so, yeah, so we are doing a follow-up. This is part two of an earlier part. And we've actually delayed the recording of part two because we decided we wanted to have Betsy join us on the podcast. So it's been three weeks now, I think. We did part one of uh, thinking biblically about abortion, and uh, we tried to just walk through Scripture and give a biblical perspective on that subject. And today, part two of that, which uh, Scotty has kind of put together, uh, we're going to walk through um, more of the cultural legislative and even Christian subculture, (laughs) uh, uh, sort of, um, landscape of, of some things related to abortion, the pro-life movement and and so forth. And, um, I, in the first episode, I, I, uh, or part one, I shared a little bit of our story and some of Betsy's story. I think we're going to have her kind of rehash some of that from her own kind of, mouth so you hear from her kind of what her experience was as a young uh, woman having uh, a baby and so um, maybe we'll is that is that where we want to start yeah sure yeah Scotty gives approval I'm good with it all <laughs> right so Betsy we're gonna ask you for some perspective uh, on just your own um, experiences a young woman got pregnant at 19 and we'll let you take it from there
2: yeah I did well
0: you gotta you gotta stay close to the mic remember? sorry sorry Yeah. yeah
2: okay I did. I got. I grew up. That part is on my first appearance on the podcast. I kind of mm-hmm. gave my story and testimony and all of that.
0: Okay, so if you want, uh, what I can do is put a link to that podcast episode in the show notes.
2: So sure. Can go back and listen. Sure. To um, I don't know how much I shared about this part of it, though. I was relatively promiscuous when I was a teenager. And so, um, me finding out I was pregnant was shocking, but not, not without cause. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh gosh, how did this happen? Um, you weren't Mary. I was not <laughs> indeed. I was not. Yes. Um, and so that, um, that experience was pretty surprising. I did um, grow up with a mom who did a very, very good job um, during that season of time helping me think through not abstinence. She didn't really do a good job of communicating a lot, but she gave me lots and lots of resources to read um, from what, what's the name of that ministry out in Colorado? Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family. And they had really amazing testimonials from girls who had been in that situation. So it was one of those things where I already knew where I stood when it happened, and I knew what right and wrong was. And I also knew what my family's position would be, which was very helpful. Um, I guess that could come into play with talking... I mean, some of the people that are listening have teenagers, and so I think... You're not giving your children permission to do it. I never thought that my parents excused that behavior, um, or that way of life. But I knew, I knew that they would love whatever life was born because of me, yeah. regardless of how I became pregnant. And so, um, yeah, I had, like James said before, I didn't have people tell me that I should have an abortion though. I ended up knowing people within two years of then. I knew good friends who had abortions. I found out after the fact. And so I I have no idea how many people around me were choosing that option mm-hmm. out of fear. Um, also from Christian families, to be honest. And um, so I had—I moved in with my parents when I had Dylan. I had him. They helped me. And it was scary, and I lost friendships and relationships because of it, but— um, yeah, the Lord was really good. I, I was always excited to be a mom. I don't know. The Lord gave me this real peace about. I f- I feel like it was this real kindness. It was a. It was the most loving wake up call the Lord could have possibly given me, mm. and. You um,
0: you just touched on two things that I think are actually pretty important to, to point out to people, and that is number one, when people, think, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant if I have this baby, it's going to wreck my life or change my life or the trajectory of my life. It's going to interrupt my, my plans and my progress or what I wanted to do or whatever. I, I don't think we could credibly say to anyone, no, it won't like it, it, like it blows up everything. Like it literally changed your whole life dramatically. It should. Like yeah. we need to acknowledge, yeah, this is a an, a, a, an event that, that that happens in this. Like, if you have a baby, so there's a proper sense of the gravity of that.
2: Yeah, it's even like,
0: reflected in somebody who goes, "Oh, I don't want yeah. this." It, there, there's it, it is communicating and understanding that this is really, really significant and it's mm-hmm. going to change the trajectory of everything. Yeah, that's
2: true. Uh, yeah, I think anytime that you make a move to surrender to the Lord in an area. There is a death that happens to whatever was in place of that hmm. and so you know, to risk I mean, it, even my relationship with with Dylan's dad changed forever. you know, it just we, yeah, anyway um that was that was something, and so it was blowing up his life too. and so there was there was a lot to that.
0: The other thing you said though, just then was that. Um, how did you put it? You said it was the loudest Oh,
2: it was the kindest wake-up call. The kindest
0: wake-up call that God could give you. And I think that's another thing that I think from a biblical perspective we need to make sure we're clear about. That when God through, in some cases, not not in every case, I mean, you can be married and get pregnant and want an abortion, right? Um, But sexual immorality, as we understand it biblically, is any sexual activity outside of the 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 marriage bed of one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. So outside of that, all sex, sexual um, uh, engagement is sexual or intimacy is uh, is sexual immorality. And that God would give somebody in their sin the gift of a human life is not punitive from God. It's a it's a kindness from God. It is a gracious gift, a miraculous gift that that allows us that that essentially is God's pursuit of us. He's, he's yes. wanting to go, I'm going to bless you with this, but I want you to understand something of the seriousness of, of this. I want to give you this, this, this now life to, to steward. I want to give you this meaning to inject into your life. Um, this mm-hmm. responsibility is, is, in a way, God's calling out to us. It's also a way for, in some cases, for us to keep sin that we might want to keep hidden from people. It it brings it into the light, not to shame us, but to help us.
2: Yeah, sorry, Scotty. This is a longer intro. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally hijacking his plan, his show notes <laughs> um, at the beginning, at least. But to it would be impossible to look at what has happened in the 23 years since 23 years since I found out uh, I was pregnant. Probably,
0: years, yeah, yeah.
2: He'll be 23 in May. He'll be 23 in May. Um, it would be impossible to look at what God has done in my life and even what the Lord has used my life for. Everything mm-hmm. has been about kids ever since. Mm-hmm. And um, the charismatic side of me, you know, <laughs> it, it. anytime that the Lord would kind of I was raised in the church and so there were certainly times in childhood where I felt like the Lord was giving me a vision for my future. Um and it always involved children. It always involved children of all kinds of all ages, a full house of I've always wanted that and Dylan was really the first the first time that the Lord allowed me to walk in that. Mm-hmm. And it did. It changed my life forever. And I would have missed out on miracle after miracle after miracle of him even you know I didn't say this in in the in the last one but Dylan was turning 3 when I met James and it was very clear I was praying for a father for Dylan when James showed up at my door that day mm-hmm. and so there were so many not just oh wow you made a good choice but mir- actual miracles that the Lord did to build and to provide for me and for us in that.
0: Yeah. So everything about life, in, well, probably most things about life got harder in one sense. Everything got better. Everything. Um, and it's yeah. been more rich and more meaningful mm-hmm. and, and all those things. Not because it's been easier or, you know, cakewalk or anything like that. Um, I, I I think it's important to state just kind of, pastorally, personally, whatever, that, like, even within the context, you, you're talking about you grew up in the church, and I remember the church I grew up in, and, and you know, w- there, there's this idea, like, part of what you fear if you're a young woman who gets pregnant outside of wedlock is that there's now scandal attached to you, and, and so it can lead to shame and guilt and all these things, and, and abortion becomes an option to try to avoid some of that. But I, I would want people to know that in the context of our church, that if we have a teenage girl that's maybe a, uh, has grown up in our church even and and she becomes pregnant uh, as, as a young woman or if even a single adult woman gets pregnant um, in our church, that what we would want you to experience is that you could come to us with the reality of the situation and that you would experience full embrace, full Grace that you would see that the pregnancy itself is God's grace to you, and that you would experience His grace in tangible ways from the church around you in that moment. That our goal would never be to, to to shame or to 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 put some burden of guilt on on you for you know sinful activity or whatever like that. Like we would want to surround you and support you and and do everything we can to then support you in the having and raising of a child in that situation. And probably even more so than let's say you're a young couple who gets married and has kids early on, like, like we did, and you need the support of loving community to do that. Well, Uh, Oh, listen, we have
2: (laughs) two elders in our church that (laughs) had two babies about 16 and 18 months apart.
0: Yeah. So um, (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah. So like we said at the beginning of the show, Caleb and Natalie are in the hospital having number two as we speak. Um, and, uh, and so, um, that, that need for support and community and people around you to help and, and be there for you is only amplified in the situation of, let's say, unwed adult mother or single uh, young teenage girl or something like that. And so I just want to be very clear and not assume that people know that. I don't want to say it out loud, that like yeah. we want to honor every life that God would bring into our church family, whether that's through, um, you know, l- like Caleb and Natalie loving married couple having a baby today uh with some measure of intentionality versus somebody who has a you know conceives in sexual immorality or whatever that that situation doesn't mean that we would treat a child or treat that person you know differently or less than
2: right
0: okay right um okay was there anything else that you wanted to say about that i don't think so okay since we've hijacked Scotty's show notes for long enough. No, <laughs> I don't like you guys saying no, that, because I, I really
1: enjoyed <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: no, so um, Scotty has really thoughtfully kind of laid out some things. I, we're going to try to go in some reasonable, logical progression here. Um, is there anything we need to summarize or whatever? I, I said this on the last episode that I recorded <laughs> with Caleb uh, on spiritual practice for this month, um, but I'll say it here in case people miss that, that I stated in the first episode a... Uh, Uh, Something in my history with uh, with when I grew up that uh, Operation, I I called it Operation Mobilization, which was a missions agency um, that my parents were connected to and did anti-abortion stuff or pro-life stuff through. Um, It was actually Operation Rescue, and so I gave it the wrong name. I just want to make sure I've corrected that thoroughly. That was brought to my attention by my brother in Jacksonville, who I saw this weekend at a family wedding and who I gave one of our T-shirts to. Because he's a faithful listener. To one of the podcast. weekday worship ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, hey, real quick, before we dive in, um, will you tell the story of yesterday with oh, Caleb geez. not here? I want Caleb to be able to hear this in his absence. Yeah,
2: this Eleanor, is one of these little lives that I get to take care of now. <laughs> I may ta- take care of toddlers forever. I don't know. <laughs> um, but my sweet little niece, Eleanor, who's three plus, she's just incredibly brilliant, and she noticed faces and could tell that they were familiar to her, but couldn't figure out why on my t-shirt yesterday.
0: She was wearing the weekday worship. I was wearing the weekday
2: worship. and I was like, well, here's Uncle James." and she has a she has a way of mimicking James. that's pretty funny. <laughs> where she goes, "Hello." I'm Uncle James. <laughs> but um, but she sees him and she's just like, Wow, well, who's this guy over here? And I'm like, Well, that's Caleb. You stayed in the sermon this week. It's Caleb. He was preaching, Mr. Caleb. And she goes, She's like, Okay, so Caleb, okay, okay. And she's pointing out eyes, she's, you know, pointing everything out. And she goes, She goes, Okay, so Uncle James, yes, and Cruella. <laughs> Cruella. <laughs> she
0: watches, you know, Disney cartoons and so forth. Yes. So she referred to Pastor Caleb
1: as Cruella.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sure it's not the first time that that's I only been called mixed him.
2: <laughs> I only called him Mr. Caleb to her because it's Uncle James, and I don't want to try to com- communicate to a three year old what a pastor is at this point in time. So we just went with Cruella. <clears throat> we did, and apparently. He has a dirty face.
0: That's what she said. Yeah, he got the facial hair and that silhouette sort of yeah. profile. And <laughs> so. James
2: has a nice shiny head.
0: So, Caleb, we're uh, toasting to you. That's Cruella, right. Cruella. with a dirty face. <laughs> wow. All right, back to the podcast. Sorry. I just wanted you to hear that story. Um, okay, so what we're going to try to do uh, in our time today, again, is to lay out a little bit of the legal um, uh, landscape, political landscape, whatever, some of those things. I'll let you take it from here, Scotty, to kind of frame yeah. some of these things. Give, give us a a glimpse of, uh, well, oh, no, wait, you know what? We were going to talk March. about, yeah. So what was that? A month ago? Yeah. About a month ago, actually today, uh, there was, uh, we had announced it on a Sunday morning. It was on a Friday um, that it was taking place. There was a, um, an annual March for Life.
1: Uh, well, this was a Stand for
0: Life. I'm sorry. Yes. Annual Stand for Life. Used <laughs> to be March for Life. Yeah. Um, I literally had been attending March for Life down at the Capitol, the Georgia State Capitol building in Atlanta since I was a little kid. Now, I haven't done it every year, but we've done it along the way. Um, you know, like uh, our oldest son Dylan, he used to go with me to that. Yeah, um, because of yeah, because of the the situation by which he came into the world. Like this is an issue that always mattered to him, and so he liked mm-hmm. going down there and mm-hmm. participating. In that so we would go to this the March for Life. So this year uh, it, it was a Stand for Life, and that is a pro-life kind of gathering. The week of, um, it's around the week of what they what we call Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is timed in January because of the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, uh, which was, you know, obviously overturned, which we'll get to, but we had this annual stand for life and it was, um, shockingly to me when I showed up, uh, low attendance, low, low in attendance, mm-hmm. explain. So there was a lot of curiosity about that, about, Hey, we've come down here before and Liberty Plaza down here adjacent to the Capitol has been packed out thousands of people. We go down there this year and, um, the crowd was, um, alarmingly thinned out. You want to speak to the, some of the why of
1: that? Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit with Margarita, who is a a lady who we've partnered with, um, in going out to abortion clinics near us, uh, to pray and, and to try to have conversations with, um, the people that are entering the clinic there. And, uh, she was telling, telling me a little bit about the history of it and saying that back, uh, several years ago, there were, probably about 10,000 people that would go to this. Yeah. So just like you're saying with your experience, uh, at a certain point, there was a sort of split between the Catholic and the evangelical side of things, and that split it about in half. So it was down to like 5,000. But then more recently, in, in just the past few years, and this is uh, relates to what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast, there was another split within that um, sort of evangelical pro-life umbrella um, of different approaches to basically legislation. Like how do we go about actually implementing our pro-life beliefs? And so there were two camps that were, um, basically what we're going to call just for clarity, uh, we're going to, we're going to say incrementalist positions and the abolitionist position. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into the, the details of what that means, but, but basically the, what we went to the stand for life, it was, uh, by Georgia right to life which they've split off actually from national right to life because of this sort of debate within within the pro-life umbrella um, and Na- and Georgia right to life they hold to an abolitionist position and that is sort of the minority uh, position within the whole movement and uh, and that is what led to it being so poorly attended it's it's not as many people know about it or people have disagreements with it and so we thought that we should have a podcast episode Digging into the differences between those because I think that they're really significant for us.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in, in order to be, um, a, we're not going to shy away from tipping our hand, but we want to do an honoring and honorable job of of characterizing, you know, both mm-hmm. in, in a way that would be identifiable to both sides. Um, the it, it, so in fairness to both sides, um, both sides it, it, uh, it, it, of. if if you're truly pro-life, want to see zero abortions. Incrementalist versus abolitionist is more of a strategic label. Is that fair to say? Not an aim. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so we're not saying that an incrementalist position wants fewer abortions and doesn't want abortion abolished, but incrementalism kind of captures their strategy of diminishing and and reducing abortion, whereas the abolitionist position... Um, Is a more absolutist kind of position. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, both sides, I think, would, for the most part, agree on almost all cases as far as like the fundamental beliefs of what they say about abortion, things that we talked about in last week's episode about um, when life begins, what God says about the value of human life, what it says about the shedding of innocent blood, what we're to do. Like, so there's tons of agreement um, in those fundamentals, but then in how we actually go about implementing that, that's where there's a big divide. Yeah,
0: and and I, I think it's important at the outset that one of the things that we talked about, the three of us, that, that our aim for this is what, what can happen in this is you have the cultural, uh, political, hot-button sort of reality of just the subject of abortion. We tried to simplify that for us as Christians by just starting with a biblical worldview last time. Now, what we're going to be talking about is not so much pro-choice versus pro-life, but about the distinctions within the pro-life movement itself in the different lanes that have formed there, which are um, in some cases pretty uh, – it's a bit of a schism, Mm -hmm. uh, it's fair to say. And and so, again, what we want to do is take an area or an issue here that we think can get easily very complicated – Um, for lots of reasons but it gets complicated and it feels a little convoluted and confusing and we want to do everything we can to disentangle that sort of complexity to make things as simple and as clear as possible now we're not going to solve everything and um and and all that but but we just want to create uh clear categories and be as simple and and disentangling the sort of unnecessary we think confusion about some of them so fair yeah totally um all right so why don't you why don't you try to give us a little bit of the 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 current landscape at a a sort of um i don't want to say political probably more legal landscape yeah let's start there legislative or
1: whatever yeah so like you said um there was a court case a supreme court case called roe v wade that was in 1973 that just in 2022 june of 2022 got overturned so roe v wade Uh, found that there is a right to privacy implicit in the constitution that include includes abortion. That was what the ruling was. And when it was reanalyzed in 2022, it was overturned. So they said, no, that's, that's not actually what the constitution says. Um, and, but this is after it being the law of the land for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so I know for myself, like I've only really gone deep into some of this stuff in the past year or two and, and I was not very well informed. I didn't know, like, wh- I I knew that Roe v. Wade had been overturned, but I was, I didn't know what that meant exactly. Is like, does that mean that abortion is completely over? Is it not? Is it like somewhere in between? And um, and so because
2: because people acted like it was, yeah, people acted as though this is the end of it all, mm-hmm. and especially people on the pro-choice side, they very much acted like. No one is ever going to be able to get another abortion. Women are going to be dying all over the place Mm -hmm. because of poor women's health care at that point. That was very much...
0: Which let's be clear, we wish that was the case. That there not would be not that no they ab- were dying. No, 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 We wish that it was the case that there would be no <laughs> I saying Sorry. <laughs> I, was like,
1: I thought you were being sarcastic, no, but I was no, no, like, that no, no, was no. really dark, James. No, no, no. <laughs> no. no.
0: I, I'm sorry. I, I'm saying sorry, that, that I wasn't, we do wish that yeah. there was an end to abortion. That yeah. is that is our heart. Yeah, yeah. Um but it's not the reality.
2: It's yeah. not the reality, but I do think that there's equally poor information on the pro-choice side as to what was happening also. Yeah.
1: It's hard to. everyone's reacting in in different ways and claiming certain things and not all of it is true. Not all of it is accurate. Um, It's
0: one of those like sometimes brings more uh, heat than light
1: situations. Yeah. Yeah. And so Roe v. Wade, um, and just as a reminder, I think we mentioned this in the first episode, but in the 50 years that it was the law of the land, over 63 million babies were legally killed during that time, so so it was a horrific thing, um, and for that to be the law of our land, and so naturally you would think it being overturned, like oh wow, this is incredible, like finally this this unjust law, this unjust ruling um, is has been overturned, but the thing is that when it was overturned, it didn't outlaw abortion. All that it did was it said, no, this isn't a federal thing. This is a state decision. Each state gets to decide for themselves how they want to deal with the issue of abortion. And so what happened when it was overturned was that um, there were certain states that had what were called trigger bills. And these were bills that they had either on the books from before Roe v. Wade, like way back in the day, or they were things that um, they put into place hoping that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. And then that would be put into it would it would be active following the overturning, if that ever were to happen. So it did happen, and so a lot of those laws got put into place. Some examples would be, like in Georgia, this one I don't think was a trigger bill, but in Georgia, we currently have what's called a heartbeat bill. It's HB 481, and what that does is it says that you cannot have an abortion after a detectable heartbeat has been found, which is generally around six weeks of pregnancies, uh, with some exceptions. Other states have ones that are even, that go further than a heartbeat bill. A lot of states, uh, I think like Texas and Oklahoma and some others have what are, what are called Louisiana, um, have what, what are called abortion bans. Um, and their, their abortion clinics have actually had to shut down. So it's no longer legal for those clinics to, to be active and performing abortions. So that that's what happened when roe v wade was overturned then there are plenty of other states that it's it's totally legal and they're pushing for as as much like as few restrictions as possible and
0: yeah and those states uh become sort of almost like sanctuary state type things for those who live in states where abortion is either having you know uh, the heartbeat bills Mm -hmm. or or the all-out bans they're just becoming the safe havens that are that are inviting and urging people from those more um Uh, from those states where abortions being outlawed or access is being diminished, then they're just trying to get them to come to those states to have their abortions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you even got companies like Amazon and others that are paying for their employees to go Mm -hmm. to travel to other states to get abortions and all Mm -hmm. kinds of terrible things. But, um, so that's, that's kind of like where things are at legally. And then from there, um, that's where we get into this whole divide within the pro-life camp of it's like, okay, if Roe v. Wade isn't the law of the land anymore, how do we approach this in the, in the States? Like, what kind of positions do we take? What kind of laws do we try to promote? And so to give a little bit of an, fleshing out what we mean by this incrementalist or abolitionist position, basically what we're saying, uh, that we'll start with the incrementalist position. And this is, like we said, the majority position um, in, in the pro-life camp. And it includes most of the, the really big pro-life organizations like National Right to Life and many others. Sometimes it's just referred to as like pro-life establishment or pro-life lobby. Uh, but we're going to try, try to use the word incrementalist just to be clear on it. Um, so they would be people that they want abortion to end um, just like the other side does. But they think that the best way to do that is through incremental legislation that would be taking ground step by step. So things like a heartbeat bill, rather than just outlawing abortion, trying to push it back earlier and earlier saying, okay, maybe you can't have late-term abortions, or maybe they're going to require an ultrasound before you can get an abortion or require parental consent, or maybe it's like a fetal pain bill that if the, if the child can feel pain, then you can no longer have an abortion at that point. So their goal would be, like they would say that their goal is to to end abortion, but they don't think that it's feasible to just outlaw it, that they, they you have to kind of take ground as you're able to incrementally.
0: So they want to make in the, w- w- what seems on the surface to be, um, rather than eliminating abortion, like full stop, you know, in a given jurisdiction, they want to just walk it back. They want to see fewer abortions and then from there maybe do some more legislation that would be fewer so they're looking at a steady decrease that they could affect by this incremental type legislation
1: yeah okay. yeah they would say that that's that's the realistic way to do it that it's not it's not it's not politically possible to just end it you you kind of have to work along the way still having the same end goal but that you have to p- pursue it incrementally
0: yeah so they they would they would see the 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 an outright abolition position as too, I don't know if they would say that it's too extreme in their minds, but it would be too extreme in too many people's minds to have mm-hmm. a realistic hope of actually being implemented.
1: Yeah, yeah, they'd say, let's let's save the babies that we can right now rather than trying to go for the whole thing and losing everything. Okay,
0: and on the surface, like kind of full, at first glance, that, that sounds reasonable.
1: Totally. Okay, right. yeah. Um, so then you have the abolitionist position which they again would have the goal of ending abortion Um, this is organizations like Georgia not national but Georgia right to life Um, other organizations like end abortion now which is out of Apologia Church in Arizona Um, so they think that the best way to end abortion is through bills of abolition that would criminalize abortion outright They, they would they would want to say that we should have the same laws that protect born humans protecting unborn humans. And they don't want to do that incrementally. They would actually disagree with incremental legislation um, like at a fundamental level. And so those are kind of the two the two main sides, the, the camps that we're gonna be talking about today. So a couple distinctions um, that that help us maybe parse out why there's such disagreement between the two sides one is this is like maybe like a, a secondary kind of thing but uh, but the first question is should we when we're arguing for the pro-life position should we argue from the word of God or should we try to focus on non-religious arguments going from just from science and from philosophy and trying Natural to basically law, yeah like trying that. to meet a secular world where they're at and mm-hmm. work from within that framework right. to convince them uh, and this is not again these are big camps with lots of individuals that think differently. So we're speaking in some generalities. But in general, the the incrementalist side, the pro-life establishment, pro-life lobby, they push for that more kind of like secular argumentation, trying to meet people where they're at and then get them there. Uh, whereas the abolitionist side of things is very overtly Christian, like, like they are not in any way trying to hide that there's, they're, they're yeah. arguing from the word of God, not to the exclusion of well, they're science appealing and to philosophy the gospel. and things like that. They're
0: appealing to the doctrine of the image of God. Yeah, They're appealing to, you know, the things that we talked about in the first episode about it. Yeah. And they're trying to bring a biblical worldview to bear in the public space yeah. or, the, or the public sector or conversation about this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So their, yeah, their argument would be that, um, for example, like in Romans 10, where it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, or in Isaiah 55, where it talks about God's word going out and accomplishing the purposes that he has for it. Um, they would, they would say that you, you need to use the word of God because otherwise you're, you know, using science and things like that, it can tell you what exists and what is, but it can't tell you what you should do. And ultimately any kind of should type talking is appealing to some sort of transcendent reality. And so we can try to do that from within a secular framework, but ultimately we're cutting out our own foundation uh, by, by trying to do that. Yeah. So like I'm calling a little bit of an audible here, but I think
0: it might be worth going ahead and saying what our position is. So yeah. we're not trying to be careful talking around it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, don't know, right like like I that, feel like I've made
1: it pretty obvious without actually outright okay. saying it. Uh, um but yeah, that's well, I don't that's think you're big. being
0: hostile to, to the position, but but we, we are absolutely in the abolitionist camp. Yeah, uh, having done the, the 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 looking into these things that we've that we've done. Um and so I, I wanna just put that on the table to say we would side with the abolitionist um uh lane in this, and I think as such, so if you go back to to what you said, and I, I, I'm i intentionally going to use the, the sort of most triggering word that you have said so far in the description of that camp, and that is uh-huh. that the abolitionist camp wants to see abortion not just made not legal, but we want to see it criminalized. That's a, that's a hard word for a lot of people to hear. I suspect even in our own church, there's a lot of people that their gut level reaction is um, uh, that that's like a, oh, wow, that's extreme, or that feels radical. Um, and so I, I want us to just put that on the table and, and then let you take a second to, okay, take that in. That's where Scotty and I and Betsy land. Um, and we want to flesh that out a little bit of the why. And mm-hmm. we want to talk that through. Um and so what we would appeal to you for is you may not agree with us at this moment. Your instinct, your feelings, your whatever gut reaction may be to disagree with that. And so my appeal to you in listening to this would be to, like I would with with anything, like just would you be open to just hearing the the, the line of thinking on both sides, to hear um, I, I don't like to use the word argumentation, but it, but that's fine if you want to use that. We we do want to persuade you of some things, um, but we want to do it in a respectful and biblical and uh, thoughtful way. And so um, if you're responding emotionally to that sort of here's where we are, we we, we want to kind of invite you to sort of, okay, <laughs> put your emotion aside for a minute and let's like, hear, hear the why, okay? So, um, and I, I wanted to put that out now because I think the distinction that you made on the making the argument from the word of God versus something else, why would we find the potential, wh- what's the potential or the, the range of problems that exist within making the argument exclusively from a scientific, philosophical, naturalistic worldview? because again, on the surface, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, people don't agree with you about the Bible being authoritative in any Mm -hmm. way, or they don't think that's the word of God, or they have no value for the Bible, so why make the argument from the Bible? So um, let's talk about why we think it's important to frame things this way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I, I definitely can see how it is tempting to, to think like, oh, we need to just use arguments that will actually be accepted by the other side or to some degree, at least that we can find some common ground and then work from there. And, and again, I, I don't think that we should not use science. I mean, science is all truth is God's truth. And so like science tells us that life begins at the moment of fertilization that you have unique mm-hmm. DNA at that point. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't use those things at all. Uh, but I think that, the aversion to using the word of God is it's maybe masks itself as, as like being wise or being shrewd. But I think that it more so betrays a a sort of fear of not being taken seriously or being in some way, like having, having hostility in response to us. But if we believe that these things are true, if we believe that that scripture is our basis for all of morality and everything, like how could we, how could we not, use that and and ultimately that's like I, just from a missional perspective i mean if ultimately our goal is not just that somebody would come to our side in a debate about abortion mm-hmm. but our goal should be that we would see people come alive to christ like to know him to be saved from their sins and and so if you you know philosophically argue somebody into a pro life position but then they still remain at enmity with god then that's good, but it's not, it's not the ultimate goal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything from
0: you on this subject?
2: Yeah. I I mean, I think I always approach it from, I have less time to think about things (laughs) and form really good researched thoughts than, than you guys, but also, I don't know that I would even if I had more time. Um, So the things that come to mind as far as the importance is, first and foremost, we're the church. We're not, we are representing the church to a lost and dying world. And so understanding like what Scotty has so beautifully done and what James has done in the first podcast about this, and then even now, it's really, really important that we are educated on it and that we understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are not, we are voters. (laughs) We are not law writers. We are supporters, and we can physically show up to rallies and things and show support. But it is really important for us to understand what the Word of God says about life, to be really, really well-versed in that. Um. I also think that when someone comes and when this when this circumstance comes up, to be able to speak to people um, from a spiritual perspective, like what you're saying, um, is to not get caught in the weeds. To take them back, like you were talking about last time, with um, with the references back to Genesis, to take them back to that, to help them understand what the purpose and what the blessing of bringing a life into this world is. And the truth is the abolitionist perspective represents the Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. It's the value for life and trusting God with the details of how. Mm -hmm. It's not relying, like you said, on our own shrewdness. It's relying on God and being able, being willing to be used by him to stand for truth and to speak truth. Because as you said, for 50 years, this was the way it was. And any of us who grew up, especially in public school systems, it was like swimming in water. I knew what, I knew why not, why it was not real or why it was not true. But I went through government classes. It was taught as the only logical way. Mm-hmm. And if I had not had the other teaching on the other side, I wouldn't have known any different. Yes. And so if we don't speak truth, there's there are so many people who will not otherwise know it. Yeah. They don't understand that this that what has been isn't what has always been, yeah. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I I would just add to all of it that I think the if we if we <laughs> refuse to bring scripture and the reality of of evil if we refuse to take those things into account and into the conversation what we've essentially you know we live i mean the christian position is that we live in a spiritual and supernatural universe and that there is intelligent evil very much at work and animating the st- the structures and systems of our world and so if we only like people the way that um Laws like this can be changed dramatically in the way that a culture is changed is through the shaping and reshaping, I should say, of consciences and convictions and, and the transformation of the human heart. And that comes by the, by the truth of the gospel that mm-hmm. comes through the word of God. And so at a pragmatic level, if we leave it at that, that's as if we're saying we live in a pragmatic universe only. Now, th- those are good ways. We do need to think through those aspects of this. But, but at the end of the day we're dealing with spiritual forces that are also at work. And, and the way that those things are um, penetrated and torn down and, and, and brought uh, strongholds are the way that strongholds are brought down is through the truth of, of the gospel being proclaimed boldly and winsomely and courageously and without with great clarity and, and without any reservation. And so I think for us, we want to recognize that pragmatism is not the way of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right right? Like the way of the kingdom, the way that, that, that the values and customs and culture of the kingdom of God make inroads in this world is through the proclamation of Jesus as King and Victor and, you know, as, as God and as the authority and, um, and then all that comes with that or alongside that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And to not see the things that have been pulled into the laws right now as it relates to our youth as an absolute slaughtering of the enemy and marring of God's image reflected through the image bearers is just not true. And okay, so James, to your point a minute ago of saying like, let's talk about where we stand, let's let that sink, be willing to pray about it, pray about the abolitionist and... I mean, honestly, last week when you were talking to me about this before I had listened to the first podcast, um, it, it, hurt, it hurts me. It hurts me. I don't know, I don't know what I – it is a weighty thing to have to go on the record with how you see this, this issue as a yeah. person. Yeah. It is a weighty thing. And yet there is such safety in the word of God Mm -hmm. and in hiding underneath and hiding, not hiding behind it in a bad way, but hiding under the shadow of the wings of Christ and making it very black and white is actually a very safe place to be. And so in the last week, as I've processed through like, gosh, the word criminalization, But I don't, what's true is that letting it, all that does is speak truth to the issue. Right. It helps, it would help women to understand. It would help men to understand. This is murder. Yeah. You're killing. And um, we listened to that other podcast. And one of the great things that was, that has been said by some of these lawmakers or law writers um, who are trying to propose these bills is, well, it's not like every woman who has ever had an abortion would then be drug off to jail. There yeah. is due process. No, yeah. And There's we'll get intent. into some of those
0: things for sure. So Betsy's referring to a podcast interview uh, that we'll put in the show notes as well mm-hmm. with a man named uh, Bradley Pierce. So yeah. um, on, on some of the same stuff and he's much more well-versed than we all are. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so it'll, it's a worthwhile interview to to watch if you're interested in mm-hmm. these things. So um, but you're bringing up Betsy the the sort of next step I think, in what we want to talk about, okay. like in terms. So we were talking biblical versus you know uh, philosophical lines of argumentation and so forth. Um, another point of uh, so that's that's somewhere where the incrementalists and the abolitionist camps diverge. Mm-hmm. Um, the the next point, which where you're talking about the clarity of if this is murder, then what do you do with murder? So
1: this yeah. gets to the issue of partiality. So yeah. Scotty, mm-hmm. talk about that. Yeah. So. The other big divergence, and and probably the primary one um, between the two camps, is the idea of a second victim mentality. And so what that means is the, the incrementalist camp in general, they will hold to this second victim mentality that not only is the child that is being killed a victim of abortion, but the woman who is getting the abortion is also a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's not a guilty party, but a victim of abortion. And so because of that, the the outworking of that is that they don't want to promote any kind of legislation that would have legal penalties for a mother who would get an abortion, because they see her as a victim, not as not as a perpetrator.
0: In they, all cases, yes, by default, wholesale, no nuance, always a victim.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so they see the abortionist, the the doctor as, you know, they'll, they'll use very harsh language about that person. They'll say, no, that's a murderer. They're doing this terrible thing. Uh, but when they think about the woman getting the abortion, and I think it comes from a, a, an honorable place of trying to recognize that, man, a lot of like, especially if you're like a single mother that doesn't have a support system, that's struggling financially, like all kinds of things. Like it's, it's easy to see how getting an abortion could seem like the the easy fix to all of your problems mm-hmm. And so they I think that they're coming from a position Of wanting to show compassion And empathy for the the woman who's in a Really difficult situation and that's why They want to say no we don't want to like This woman who's already been a victim in some way, whether that's from misinformation of the world around of being confused on what abortion actually is. Or maybe there was actual like there was somebody outside of herself that maybe she she didn't choose to get pregnant. Maybe she was coerced into an abortion. You know, there's all kinds of ways that you could think about it. Um, And so they want to have compassion on that woman and say, no, we're not going to put into law that that she could be a a guilty party in the abortion itself. So
0: on the abolitionist side, what we're not saying, or what the abolitionist side is not, the position is not that all women in every instance are to be held criminally liable. Correct. There is far more nuance about this, and so we'll get into the details of that. I just want to be clear that the incrementalist side is saying in every case, women are only and always a victim. Mm -hmm. They're never a perpetrator. Correct. And on the abolitionist side, we would be saying, no, 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 there's room, plenty of room here for a woman as well as a doctor or perhaps other parties to be held liable for. And, and essentially the, the baseline position is if we if the pro-life position, as we've set forth and as I think the incrementalist camp agrees upon, if the position is the pro-life abortion is murder, then there must be a murderer. Right. For, mm-hmm. for there to be a murder, there has to be a murderer. The question is who is culpable for the taking of life or the shedding of innocent blood in this case. And so the the abolitionist position is saying, well, there's a range of, uh, possibilities. of, of po- po- possibilities there, whereas the incrementalist side is saying never is the woman that, always maybe the medical professional or somebody who may have
1: coerced or
0: something like that. So mm-hmm. we'll get into a little bit of the details of that in a second. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: Yeah, so if we want to think about that idea from a biblical standpoint, it gets into what you mentioned earlier—the idea of partiality. So partiality is explicitly condemned multiple times throughout Scripture. God hates partiality. But what is like? What? Do, what do we mean by that? Um, basically, what partiality is? It in the Hebrew, it literally means receiving face. It means not not judging. Uh, Like not judging just based on what has been done, but judging in some way according to who did it Mm -hmm. Um, regarding people, regarding their face, regarding certain aspects of them, about them, whether that's uh, their how much money they have or their skin color, their gender, their age. But giving different outcomes of justice based on who the person is who did it rather than what was done. And so you have verses. one example would be Leviticus 19 verse 15 where it says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Mm. So the idea is that it doesn't matter who does something. It's, it doesn't matter if it's the most powerful person and you want to like kind of get on their side and you want to like maybe decrease what, what their punishment would be if they've done something wrong. But then he also says the opposite is also true. It says, you shall not be partial to the poor. So out of sympathy for somebody who's in a difficult situation, you shouldn't lighten the, the burden of justice. No matter who the person is, God says that we, we will answer, we, we will be judged according to the works that we do, not according to the person that we are. Mm-hmm. So when we think about that with respect to the incrementalist position, the idea that, that a woman who gets an abortion is never the guilty party is partiality. It's showing partiality to a woman a woman. Maybe that's from a good heart of like thinking through the difficulties that she's facing and things like that, but it's perverting justice because it's giving preference to someone because of who they are and without just considering what is being done.
0: Yeah, it doesn't take into account the broader set of facts surrounding a given situation and mm-hmm. so forth. And and it denies in some cases justice to the victim who the the, the, the primary victim who is always the child whose life has been taken.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, another way that, that partiality shows up in this whole debate is partiality was, would also be uh, protecting to differing extents the, the life of babies depending on how old they are. Like, d- for example, uh, with these, these laws that would, maybe it criminalizes late-term abortions but not earlier ones, because, you know, just at a gut level, we feel like, oh, well, that one looks more like me or maybe it can feel pain or maybe it has a heartbeat or whatever. But, but the idea of, of having a law in place that would say, okay, at, at three months and further, you can't kill a baby. But at two months and three weeks yeah, go ahead, you can kill that baby. Like, that's obviously not, the incrementalist side, they would not be saying like, oh yeah, go ahead and kill a baby. That, that would not be their heart behind it, but that right. is what the legislation actually says.
0: Yeah, it permits and continues to legalize and, and thereby, uh, you know, allow for uh, <laughs> the taking of, the shedding of innocent blood, the taking of, of human life without, without cause, right? So, yeah. I mean, it, it, think about it this way. We think of a five-year-old dying as far more tragic than an 85-year-old dying, right? Mm -hmm. Why would we think of, uh, you know, so we think of a young child dying before somebody who's lived some life dying. Like, there's a real sense of, like, tragic loss in that. But a baby seven months in gestation versus three months in gestation, we don't see that as maybe Mm -hmm. more tragic, that a life is cut short and... And so forth. So the, the idea here that that it's permissible to take life at one stage, but not at another stage is the part of partiality here that you're talking about and denying justice to the unborn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it all gets back to, like we said, the, the, the fundamental questions that we've talked about from a biblical perspective. When does life begin and what gives life value? And we already saw in the last episode that life begins at the moment of fertilization. There is a unique human being made in the image of God, and that's why they have value. They don't have value because they have a heartbeat. They don't have value because they can feel pain. They don't have value because they look more like us because they're they're further developed. They have value because they are made in the image of God, and that's true from the moment of fertilization. So if we treat people who are children who are not quite as developed and we don't protect them the same way that we protect children that are more developed whether that's in the womb or out of the womb then that is showing partiality. That's good. The the last point that we have uh, of just like thinking biblically about this that we want to encourage the listeners to to think through is um if we refuse to ever say that a, a mother getting an abortion could in any way be guilty or in any way need to face penalties, legal penalties for what she's done, then what we're doing is we are actually robbing her of the gospel. Because even if you still hold to the position with your words that, that abortion is wrong, abortion is murder, you are through the legislation you're promoting, telling this woman that she is a victim. She's not guilty that she doesn't need forgiveness for this. It's, if she's not guilty, then why, why should she look for forgiveness for, for killing her child? It's not, it's, it, it would lead her to not look to Christ, to not seek mercy, and in that way it robs her of the gospel.
0: It diminishes her sin and thereby diminishes the significance of Christ's atonement and sacrifice mm-hmm. and salvation that he offers freely, the, yeah. the healing that he can bring. Um, and we're never well served when we downplay the significance of sin. That that never leads us to a richer, deeper love for Christ, appreciation for Christ, or, you know, worship of Christ. I
2: -hmm. I will say this, too. um, It diminishes the woman's value to say, you know what? Your life does kind of suck. Or this is kind of, I, I don't believe that you can do this. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that this child that is within you is valuable and has inherent value only diminishes the value of the mother. But to have someone look at her and go, like, what do we say when people, when we're, what have you always said about wanting a little girl? I don't know. You wanted a little.
0: (laughs) I wanted a little Betsy. Yeah,
2: you wanted a little Betsy. (laughs) So think about the reverse of that. If somebody goes, oh, gosh, I don't ever, like, I don't want a little you. Or I understand why you are afraid of that. Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, this is an opportunity to bring a lineage into this world Mm -hmm. through you. Like, this is your, not legacy, but you know what I'm saying. Like, like we we want to see... The fruit of your life bear out, well, and you they, matter.
0: Yeah, if we if we only and always saddle a, a a woman with a sense of her victimhood and not a sense of her responsibility, we have not served them well.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it's it's a and it's a sort of like infantilization of women, saying that they're not capable of understanding that this truly is murder, or that like that it's it is it's demeaning and. And ultimately, like, what we're trying to say with with the abolitionist side of things is not, just to be clear, it's not criminalizing women.
0: It is mm-hmm. not. Not Thank at you all. you for saying that. Yeah. Not at all. That's a really important, like... <laughs> clarification.
1: We we want to and are commanded by God to love women, and especially those who are vulnerable. Like So it's not about criminalizing women, it's about criminalizing the act of abortion. So getting back to that partiality issue, it's not about who the person is, it's about what is done, and like right. James said, who is the guilty party? And that may or may not be the woman. You had When, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, you had women going on the, the steps of the Supreme Court and taking abortion pills on camera for national TV, like uh, there was a whole movement of shout your abortion. Yes.
0: Like, take pride in this, proclaim it, broadcast it, celebrate it. Like, that's not the everybody position. No. But that is a position that is well represented in our society. And it's yeah. evil, and it's wicked, and it's cul- it, it, there's a culpability there.
1: Yeah. And according to most incrementalist legislation, that woman is a victim. <laughs>
0: like, right
1: she's not guilty she's a vi- so that that's why there has to be nuance in these things we have to consider the the situation fully
0: in our position on the we i truly deeply believe this the the abolitionist position is the is the position that values women in their totality it yes is the position that honors women for who they are rather than using them to push an agenda or a cause, or to feel better about ourselves, or, you know, whatever, because we're on the right side of this, and it's the position that takes the whole woman seriously. Mm -hmm.
1: And it protects her, too. Like, if you think about it, uh, like, if there was, uh, if there's a law declaring something to be murder, how are you more or less likely to do that thing than if it were not declared to be murder by law? Mm -hmm. Like, there are so many women who are...
0: I don't murder all the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you're you're like, great I, at not murdering. I just
0: go around not murdering people <laughs> because I understand that murder is bad and would get me in a lot of trouble. Gold
1: star for you, James. Yeah. <laughs> but, but think about it. Like if you, There are so many women who are, get into a situation like we've talked about where you're, you're on the fence and you're like, oh my gosh, can I do this? Like, Do I have what it takes to, to raise a child? And then they're, they've got people maybe pressuring them. If they knew that getting an abortion was murder... That it was illegal, then they're not going to be. So many women would not be on the fence anymore because they would say, "Well, well I can't do that. That's not an option. I'm not going to commit murder." You know, so we're at, it actually protects women from committing a sin that is going to wreak havoc on their soul because you're being clear about what is right and what is wrong.
0: I'll give you just another example, and this is a much lower level, but it's. But it, 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 I remember when you're when when I wasn't married and you're in a relationship with. Uh, a girl dating, you know, let's say as a teenager or young adult, um, for me, you date a girl, and then you experience, as you're building this relationship, you're getting to know each other, you have tensions, you have fights, you have little arguments or little things that come up, and and you're on the fence about the relationship along the way, and you go, man, I don't know, right? I got married to Betsy, we got engaged three months after meeting and starting to date, and three <laughs> months after that, we got married, so we'd known each other six months, I had had a couple of dating relationships that were significantly longer than that at that point. And yet I'm married to this woman. And so every fight, argument, difficulty, because I'm a a Christian and value marriage and don't see divorce as an option for me. And so I would never have been on the fence about my relationship with Betsy based on, the state of the relationship at a given moment or a given season or based on a, a, a repetitive fight that we, we have or argument or the difficulty of life or the 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 sense of responsibility or the weight of it all, it's always been a, how do we figure this out? How do we work it out? How do we get better? How do we get on the same page? How do we navigate this conflict? How, it's So getting married took me off the fence of what to do about the relationship. It settled that, and the only thing became, how do I move forward with this woman in a in a healthy way? And I think... To have the abolitionist position, if that became the law of the land, women who you said previously were on the fence, it now settles that, and it helps them move to the, 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 thing, uh, the position of, how do I move forward in the best way?
2: Yeah, it also allows the church and just the community and society around them move from, what should we do? What position should we hold? What laws can we make? It helps them move to, okay, now— how do we take care of these people?
0: Yeah. Like how do it, we support? How do we them It moves the focus
2: alongside? of, which many people do that already. I mean, there are certainly organizations, but you you take all the energy you're spending in this one area and you start to get to channel all that energy and add it to the caregiving of and the supporting of.
0: Yeah this is going to end up being the longest episode ever and i'm totally I'm cool so with it i'm so sorry no 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 i'm totally cool with it but i do i do know we have just for the sake of time let's yeah. keep moving forward yeah, so yeah. Uh, let's let's move on to okay now there are complications there are things that that we need to probably speak to there's lots of questions in lots of people's minds probably still so
1: yep.
0: um w- let's let's talk a little bit about that idea of a woman isn't always a victim and neither is she always on the abolitionist side, always a criminal. Correct. Let's talk about some of the nuances of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the first questions might be like, what about someone who is truly misinformed? So like we, or uninformed know, yeah. or uninformed. Yeah. Um, we live in a culture like Betsy was saying that for for years and years and years, the the law of the land has been that abortion is perfectly legal. and we hear it all the time on TV and on social media that it's my body, my choice, It's a clump of cells, all kinds of things that are that are filling our minds and affecting the way that we think about this. And so you, you think about a woman who's getting an abortion and what if she like truly, truly believes that this is it's not a human being, It's just a clump of cells because she's been told that her whole life. So, to answer that, like, there is actually a legal concept called mistake of fact, and that is for people that that truly don't know what they're doing. And the example that's given a lot of times is if someone takes some kind of possession, truly believing that it's their own, but they're mistaken in the fact of it, it actually belongs to someone else, then they would not be legally accountable. Like, they have to give it back, but they wouldn't be legally uh, accountable to be penalized for that because they... It wasn't that they just misunderstood what the law was. They misunderstood reality, like the truth yeah. of the situation. Yeah, there's no intent. There's no, yeah. Right. So that's a, that's already a legal protection that's in place. But then even further than that, we have to understand that if we don't want people to be uninformed or misinformed about what life is in the womb and the value of that, and then that's never going to happen if we don't speak clearly and act mm-hmm. consistently with the things that we say that we believe. Yeah, So
0: if if Christians say abortion is murder or people in pro-life camps say abortion is murder and you should not murder, except for if you do murder at this stage, that's okay. Like that's a very disorienting, inconsistent, confusing position to hold to. And when you put a law on the books that clarifies rather than muddies the waters, it's actually helpful in making sure that people become clear about an issue that would otherwise be confusing it's confusing because we're making it
1: confusing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh another question would be uh, like you're saying that is is a woman never a victim then is that what we're trying to say and that's definitely not what we're trying to say definitely there are there are there are cases of of women who are raped there is incest there is terrible there are all kinds of things and these things are always used as the justifications of of abortion by the pro-choice side of this is why you need to allow for this and so we want to have the utmost sympathy and compassion towards people who have who have been truly victimized sure. and like i i know people that have experienced that and like i my heart breaks for them and so we we must have a sort of Christ-like compassion for the victims of, of terrible things like that. But does the baby deserve to die for the sins of the father? That's the question.
0: So you're talking about specifically in the case of maybe like rape, incest, yes. and so forth, which are often labeled by the pro-life camp as the exceptions.
1: Correct. Yeah correct yeah so there would be exceptions in in a law to say that okay abortion is not allowed but in these cases we'll we'll permit it yeah. and the abolitionist side would say no we we do not permit any abortions mm-hmm. and the the thing is like i like i said that the child who is conceived in rape that's again showing partiality that are we go- are we going to protect the lives of a child based on the the situation in which they were conceived mm-hmm. that's that's showing partiality and God hates that kind of treatment of a, of a person
0: yeah and and so that's on the side of the the protection of the child's life but also on the side of continuing to, to to say I think that the abolitionist position actually is the side that honors and upholds the dignity and the the value of women is that no woman, is receiving healing from real victimization by the act of abortion. Totally. That that one of the things the pro-choice side doesn't want you to talk about is the overwhelming psychological, emotional, and physical trauma and spiritual trauma that comes to women who enter who, who have an abortion. That that there is that's not to say that every single one would own that, but overwhelmingly women experience incredible. Incredible tra- trauma and hardship as a result of this yeah. and so a woman who is genuinely and grievously tragically victimized by a man in a way that they're powerless to have defended themselves again it's it's awful mm-hmm. and yet their situation is o- like their trauma is only compounded by the taking of innocent life. it's not helped
2: yeah well and and I, w- I would even say it's it's leaving it in those situations it's still leaving it on the woman to do something about it it's not in in many cases it's the illusion of getting rid of the problem mm-hmm. instead of there's a there's a lot of healing that comes with wa- walking something out to the end of it
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i can't tell you how many I, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of people going out and trying to talk with others about this, this whole issue. Um, and you see so many people in the comments saying, this happened to me. I was sexually assaulted, and I was told by so many people in my life to, to abort the child. So that I,
2: I could move on with my life.
1: Exactly, yes. so I could heal. So, so I, I could heal. Could, exactly. Yeah. But they say, but keeping that child, keeping my son, keeping my daughter has been the greatest gift that God has ever given mm-hmm. to me and it brings healing. So so telling someone that has been like you said like someone who's been through this trauma of of, of being raped of of having some kind of horrible thing happen to them and then to say that okay the way that we're going to heal you is by telling you to kill your own child. It is Listen, not for the good of the woman.
2: Yeah. I, this is going to sound really crass. So y'all can hear my sassy side. James <laughs> James looks terrified. <laughs> But honestly, like, what if we said, okay, so this man raped you? Go kill him. Go slit his throat in the middle of the night. Go kill him. Mm -hmm. He caused you this damage. Go kill him. Everyone would see that as murder. Yeah. Why is it okay to kill the baby? Yeah. Yeah. And do we really think her soul would be better because she killed the man who didn't literally share her body with her? Sorry, that's a, that's a graphic picture, but it's...
1: I, mean, I think it's a, it illustrates it, like, it in a very strong at least, way, though. That's
2: at least killing the... Per- you know, you think about um, Esther, the, when there was, like, the plan to kill all of the Jews. And what was the answer? They rewrote a law that said you can defend yourself. If anybody comes after you, you can do whatever it takes to defend yourself. Mm. And nobody came after them. <laughs> so it's kind of going, hey, that... Yeah. Uh... If we see the perpetrator as Someone you can't just go And even the score with yeah. then, then why, why the, baby... the innocent
1: Yeah,
0: yeah totally um, What about in the case of coercion uh, we'd mentioned before.
1: Yeah, so that would be another case where a woman truly is a, a victim, right? If there are people in her life that she doesn't want to do this, but against her will, she's being pressured or even threatened, like with violence. Maybe, maybe she has a pimp. Maybe it's just family members. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a husband. Who knows? But maybe she's a young teenager whose parents, mm-hmm. yeah, are, are they don't want the shame this. brought on their family yeah. or the, you know, whatever it is. Um, but. But again, there are already legal provisions in place for situations exactly like this. And that's why getting back to the whole idea of trying to just clarify all the muddiness, all that we are trying to say is that the same laws that we have on the books already that protect born people should be the same laws that protect unborn people. Yes.
0: And so the the, the language you're going to hear around abolitionist legislation is equal protection under the law. Mm -hmm. That's all we're we're contending for. Yeah. Equal Mm -hmm. protection for the pre-born under the law.
1: It's nothing convoluted. All the laws that
0: already exist applied in service of or in protection of the pre-born.
1: Yeah. So in the case of coercion, there's a legal uh, a legal concept of committing a crime under duress. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you have someone that puts a gun to your head and they, they tell you to do something, like be their getaway driver or whatever it may be, they're, try- they're telling you to commit a crime or else they're going to kill you you would not be legally liable for that thing even though you committed the act you would not be the culpable party because right. you were under duress they were they were threatening your life and so in a similar way if a woman is being coerced into getting an abortion against her will then she is actually already legally protected it would she would not be the she would be a victim truly in in that situation and the person that coerced her would be the one who is guilty right and the thing is that like you can actually only protect that woman in that situation if the thing that she's getting coerced into is illegal. Mm-hmm. Right. So if someone's coercing me into doing something that's legal, like, what is the government going to do? They don't They don't care if I'm being coerced into doing something that just has no ramification. But if someone is trying to coerce me into committing a crime, then now that person... They're they're, they're culpable on th- for the crime. exactly exactly yeah. so having laws that would that would criminalize the act of abortion not the not the woman but the act of the, of abortion that mm. would actually protect the woman from being coerced.
0: Mm. Right,
2: right.
1: That's
0: good. That's good.
2: Um, I feel like we've solved a lot of problems for people today. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> I'm sure. we'll Just find get out. Or we haven't we'll, created we'll, any for we'll ourselves. See if we get any hate um, mail. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: Okay. Yes uh you spoke to the criminalizing women um issue i just want to reiterate that we are not interested in criminalizing women any more than we are interested in the maybe incrementalist side or even the pro-choice side of victimizing women Mm -hmm. right yeah women are people with agency they have responsibility they also um can be victimized in cases and coerced and and you know abused and all these different things and so all of these things are part of a the equation right mm-hmm. what we are trying to advocate for is a consistent position on life
1: yeah yes yeah yeah and just as a last thing on, on those kind of like hard questions like the legal system that we have in place it, it is we've had it for hundreds of years and it, it deals with nuances. It helps us like work. It's not perfect, but we have the whole concept of innocent until proven guilty. So even if, you know, people would say like, Oh, what if somebody has a miscarriage and then someone accuses them of having an abortion or you're going to throw them in jail? Yes. They're, they're, we have an entire system that someone is innocent until proven guilty. Someone would have to take a charge to the justice system. It would have to, they have to be indicted. They'd have to go. You and I had
0: an actual conversation with a real life person across from the abortion clinic a couple months ago when we were there praying where he spread, he was, he seemed misinformed and he spread this misinformation that pro-life people are trying to criminalize ectopic pregnancies. Right. Right. Like that's, that's what pro-choice side would want you to believe. Like, um, miscarriages, yeah. ectopic pregnancies, these things that are then, you know, dealt with medically or whatever, those are not abortions. Right. We're not criminalizing those. Like, we're yeah. not advocating for the criminalizing of those kinds of things. Like, Yeah. Um, so so that really matters. The uh, Another piece of this that, that you have on the notes here, like, we're not looking at retroactively assigning guilt and trying cases of abortion yeah. in the last 50 years, right? We're talking about new laws that would change the game going forward. Yep. Yeah. Right? So... It's not dealing with anything in the past. It's trying to write unjust laws that have been on our books, you know, for yeah. for years. And it's trying to say, no, we want to get, we want to put just laws on the book, equal protection under the law for the pre board Like, that's it going forward.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, let's uh, kind of revisit some of the, the legal landscape and think through the different legislation that, that exists or is being promoted. So... The incremental legislation, like we mentioned, that would be um, heartbeat bills, things like that, like we have in Georgia, which sounds good. Like, of course I want to protect an infant that has a heartbeat, right? But it's showing partiality because it's it's implicitly saying then that you can kill any child who doesn't have a detectable heartbeat. Mm. Not to mention the fact that, like... Abortion providers that are searching for I'm putting up air quotes right now searching for a heartbeat it's very easy to not find a heartbeat if you just point the ultrasound a little bit different like you're putting that it's just a total misalignment of incentives and everything so the yes. whole thing is is not great um, I also I've heard people say that that now that we have a, a heartbeat bill that rather than protecting more lives it actually is leading people going to the abortion clinics to to not even talk to the people that are there praying or trying to have conversations with them to, to dissuade them from getting an abortion because they're so rushed. They're like, I have to get an abortion within the six-week window. I, gotta, I shouldn't think about it, just go, just do it.
0: Yeah, it's like watching an infomercial where it's like, act now. Yeah. If you don't act now, you're not gonna get this deal so that's like an impulse sales job. So it's yeah. turned yeah. abortion into an impulse sales kind of response to an unwanted situation.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's not actually protecting lives necessarily, it's just pushing the abortion back earlier. And so no, no individual, no baby's life is actually fully protected by laws like a heartbeat bill. It's just saying that, okay, they have to kill act, them earlier. Act, act quicker. Yeah. Yes.
0: And maybe even le- like less thoughtfully totally. and more just reactively.
1: Yeah, like, oh my gosh, this terrible thing has happened. I can't do this. I can't, and I only have a few minutes, you know, whatever. It, it's it's causing people to, to, to rush yeah. and to, to not think. Then you have things uh, like these abortion bans. Again, in air quotes, uh, there are states where where abortion has been allegedly banned. uh, And a lot of pro-life organizations are even posting on social media saying that, oh, there's there are now zero abortions in Oklahoma or in Texas because the clinics have closed. That is true. The clinics have closed. But all of these. All of this incremental legislation, it sounds so great. It's like, yes, yes, amen, amen. Life is valuable from conception, all these things. But then they always have this one little line that says, this shall not be construed to apply in the case of a mother who gets an abortion. And it just deflates the entire thing. Because the thing is, back several years ago now, chemical abortions, abortion by pill, or also called self-managed abortion surpassed the number of of clinic abortions, surgical abortions. So the the majority of abortions that happen, the the whole incremental position is like we don't want to we don't want to penalize the the mother. We want to penalize the abortionist. Thinking about this like doctor, the woman also on yeah we we want amen to, amen. Yeah, we want to, yes. But the they they divide the two and as if those are two totally separate things, which in many cases they are. But more and more, the majority position now is like. The majority of cases of abortion, the woman is the abortionist. She's she can just order a pill online and then and have an abortion within her own home. Doesn't have to go to a clinic. Mm-hmm. And so, a law that allegedly bans abortion, but yet caves out this massive caveat of this does not apply to the mother of the child. They they're not actually banning abortion in any real sense. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's there have been studies into the number of self-managed abortions, abortion by pill, in these states that have t- quote-unquote total bans, and the number is skyrocketing mm-hmm. because that's that's what's most convenient. That's what's accessible to them. Mm-hmm. And yet you still have these pro-life organizations posting and saying, zero abortions, zero abortions. And it's misinforming people and making them think that the battle is over when truly there is still a massive number of children, innocent, unborn children, being murdered in the womb. Yeah,
0: in the, in the year uh following the overturning of Roe v. Wade, abortions nationally went up. Yep. And and the truth is is that for the first like for years abortions have been on a downslope actually. Um for years, but they they kind of spiked after Roe v. Wade yeah. was overturned. Interestingly.
1: Yeah. And so I mean the question the and I, I, I sympathize with the the incrementalist position, the idea of saying, well, don't we want to just at least take what we can get? Don't we want to try to protect as many lives as we can, if, even if we can't like outright outlaw it from the get-go? But there are several things wrong with that mindset. One of those being like like in Romans 3 where Paul says, he, he posits this argument and he says, shall we do evil that good may come? Mm. And the answer is no, by no means. Like He says people who think like that, their condemnation, condemnation is just. Like. Mm. The, the ends do not justify whatever means. And, and when we think about the means here, we're talking about laws that even though the intention of our heart might be good, if I had to bring a law before God and say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm promoting a law that it protects the life of children once they have a detectable heartbeat, but all the lives of the children in the six weeks prior to that, they can be murdered and there's no penalty. If I brought that law before God and asked, does this have your approval? I mean, in my mind, there's no question. Like, God hates impartiality. He hates oppression of the voiceless and those who, are, who have yeah. the fatherless. Like, that kind of law, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a passage in Isaiah 10 that I think speaks to this idea of the types of laws that we promote. And Isaiah 10 verses 1 through 2 says this, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. Mm. Now, I'm not trying to say that those who promote a heartbeat bill are intentionally making the fatherless their prey. That's not their heart behind it, of course. But the law that they're promoting does exactly that
0: yeah i think our assumption would be the best of intentions behind most people who are pushing 100 legislation we get that but but part of it so there's a moral we think compromise here where they're in an untenable position if you think it all the way through mm-hmm. the other side of it is that if you look at it as a strictly pragmatic approach the other contention is we don't actually think it's working right the idea is that well this is what can work this is what we can get past this is what we can actually make progress on but it's not it's not obvious that it's actually having that impact with these bans or or heartbeat bills
1: and so forth right i mean you have to think about it in i mean there's the short term that it's not even actually clear like you said that the that in the short term that abortions are going down the number of abortions went up and now the majority of abortions are by pill they're self-managed and totally Legally, uh, but in the long term, you have to think about what is the ramification of continuing to to put forward bills that say that a, a child that implicitly say a child's life is worth protecting once they have a heartbeat, once they can feel pain, once they look more like me. That just continues the 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 confusion that's that actually works against what you're trying to do because people will continue to believe that abortion is like okay even within the pro-life camp that like okay abortion is murder but the earlier that that it is it's kind of like not quite murder it's a little bit less valuable than me like that's that kind of thinking gets strengthened by by legislation that treats it as if that were true yeah and then on top of that like, Uh, I guess you just have have to think about in the long term that if we continue to compromise on these fundamental convictions, the biblical convictions that we have, that I believe that many more babies will die in the long term because we continue to muddy the waters by not saying what we actually believe and pushing for things that are these half measures. When the other side, they're they're going for the whole thing, like <laughs> yeah. no abortion without restriction, without apology, on demand. Like that is the pro-choice position, and trying to compromise with a, a side that has no intention of compromising is a total losing battle. Yeah. A, aside from just the 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 are being faithful to God. And, and trusting that, like, okay, this seems like a, tr- a, a tricky thing, but I'm going to trust the Lord with the results and just be faithful to what his word says.
0: So you're passionate about this issue and feel strongly about it. That comes through. I love that. But explain to why, at the legislative level, this – I mean, because what we've seen is within these – the fragmenting of the pro-life camp in the ways that you've described, and you're talking about the legislative landscape and, and, and why we think the – the uh, the incrementalist position is an untenable one. Talk about the interplay of these two camps. Yeah. Uh, and now we're, <laughs> we're on a time crunch. I think you've got a meeting you've got to get to, and there's other things. So we're going to have to do, <laughs> th- like, let's talk about this. Um, I might address a pastoral concern or two, and I think Betsy has some thoughts that she and I talked about ahead of time that I think are really valuable to inject, and maybe and we'll end somewhere around that. Um, cool. Um, so... Um. Okay. So, how are the two? What's the interplay of these yeah. two camps? Um, yeah.
1: So that would it would be one thing if it's just like okay, everybody's got their opinion on how we should move forward. We have different thoughts, but okay, you know, agree to disagree. But sadly, the biggest opponent of abolition bills. There have been bills that have been put forward in in several different states. Louisiana is one. Oklahoma. There's one actually currently in Georgia that's being put forward, and the greatest. Opposition to abolitionist bills is not the pro-choice movement, but the pro-life establishment, which might be jarring to hear. It might be confusing to hear, but that is unfortunately the case. For example, in in Louisiana in 2022, there was a, a bill called HB 813, and it was a bill of abolition. They had all the votes that they needed for it to pass. It's a very pro-life state. The legislators, like people, were on board. They were ready to go. And then at the at like the, the last minute, uh, a letter was placed on the desk of all the legislators and it had been signed by over seventy pro-life organizations. Pro life pro-life, pro-life organizations, organizations that were urging the legislators not to pass this bill of abolition because it would lead to the prosecution of women. And you know, there's the uh, a glaring <laughs> hole in in what that sentence says it's because they said this will lead to the prosecution of women they forgot to add the sentence or the end of the sentence who kills her child in the womb mm-hmm. like so because they hold to this philosophical and, and again, position
0: it, it, and it and it and it it sort of sets forth that it's against women yeah and it's not it's against not women it's against the act of abortion which in some cases maybe even many cases women are decisively culpable for
1: correct yeah, so it's as crazy as it sounds to say, this bill of abolition was killed by pro-life establishment organizations.
0: Yeah, which, as you said in the beginning, is the dominant, overwhelmingly dominant position within the pro-life, larger umbrella of pro-life movement. Yeah. Um, and so when we say that the differences here, when we're trying to outline the different camps, we're, they're not, the differences aren't trivial, and they're not treating one another in the sense of like going, eh, whatever. You you think this, we think that. There's opposition.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, from again, pro-life establishment to the abolitionist camp. Yeah. So um that that to me is just a very stark thing that most yeah. people would have no idea about. And I think it's important to 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 know and to recognize. Um, so okay. Um I'm trying to think how to how to move us, um, Forward, actually, Betsy, I want to I want to get us out of the, the the policy, legislative whatever stuff for a second. Step back, and I just want to talk. I want to have you talk about um, some of the things that, that you and I had spoken about that you expressed in terms of just the the reflection of these positions, the prominence of abortion, the hot button reality of abortion, the way that this gets talked about, you know, across the different camps and all that um but what the what it what it all reveals about how our world views children, how our world um casts a vision for women in their lives and meaning and some of those things that are more just kind of cultural um gut level how we see the world how what we value that kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. okay, fire away oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so be more specific. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Be, be more specific, just yeah, so that because like, um, we've talked about a lot over the last yeah, week. Yeah, um, Just
0: talking about how the world views children. Maybe start. Oh,
2: there. geez. Yeah. So this is also in the one that I did with Caleb because he was just asking. So. We'll
0: put it in the one you're doing with us. The,
2: uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> put it in it. I'm just saying. I have felt this way before. I was making an argument. That's that's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um. Yeah. So, just in the sense of um, my own experience with my own kids and having kids young, like the fact that um, kids, kids today are such. Um, it it reveals how our society sees children. As a burden, sees children as annoying, sees children as um, inconvenient, something that gets in the way of your purpose, something that sucks up all of your um, resources and time and energy and all this stuff and has nothing to give back to you. And listen, we've had six kids and a lot more around us. They can be pretty militant and ungrateful (laughs) and demanding (laughs) Every day when my kids get in my car, they're like, "Where are you taking me to get a snack today, Mom?" And I'm like, "This, what? Well, home. Who? Where do you think you're growing up? Who's who do you think your mom is?" <laughs> and but, then they love
0: to tell us that we don't have food at home; we have ingredients.
2: <laughs> they do like this. It's somewhat true. The other day, James said, "Betsy, we don't even have ingredients. It's time to go to the store." <laughs> yeah, we got to go to the store. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's good for people to stop and think. Think about when you want to go to an event. Think about when you want to go even to church. If you have children, I think the reality of how society treats our children is evident when we think of um, the size of households. If you see someone, we know a sweet family that has, I think, nine kids. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your gut instinct when you see someone like that? What it just... You know how does society see life bearing out in that way? Um, yeah, I don't know if that's what you are.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 and I just think just recognizing that um, the distinction between how our world seems to view children, generally speaking, versus how God views children, more specifically. Okay, even, let's so look at Jesus. yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, so I had that written down. Um, so when when I was first talking to James. I think it's important to think about Jesus's the way that Jesus reasons. When the lawgivers and the lawmakers, even if the Jewish people come to Jesus and they're trying to test him, trick him, having him say, you know, specifically about the issue of divorce, let's say, and he takes them back to the beginning. He doesn't argue law. He goes, how did God create and mm-hmm. what was God's intent? And Scotty did a really good job of doing that last time and taking us back. Um, It's thinking about um, the covenant that God gave Noah to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, Mm -hmm. that God's blessing is going to be in that. And some of these, I wonder how much of this stronghold of death and the illusion that killing is the answer to fruitfulness. I mean, what a lie. How are you ever going to be fruitful if you're killing your future? Right, like we're killing our own future as a nation,
0: yep.
2: Um, instead of trusting the Lord and having these children, um, and then um, right after the divorce conversation in Mark ten um, is is the part where it says where Jesus says, "Let the little, little children come to me." And the disciples are trying to get the kids out of the way and trying to let him do quote real ministry with them and teach them. And he's like, "No, to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven." Mm-hmm. And so he's constantly, even then, having to reframe the way that they see children.
0: Yeah, one of the one of the more profound things Betsy has said for years, and um, this. This is funny. Um, I said this to our kids the other day. Actually, I don't think they've ever heard you say. It, and I said it to a couple of them and they were like, whoa, mom dropping bombs. Like, <laughs> um, and it's the idea that we have an aversion in our culture to children acting like children. While we maintain a high degree of latitude and grace and patience that we give towards adults who act like children. Yeah. Right? Like, we we see adults act irresponsibly and foolishly, and we're like, "Oh, grace, grace." We see children act childishly, and we're like, "God, oh, get get them out of the way!" Like they're the barrier to our happiness or our progress or mm-hmm. our fulfillment or life being the way it should be or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's such a such a disordered view. Like mm-hmm. it's something that many of us in the, in the church need to mm-hmm. repent of a low view of children. Yeah, um, that God simply does not share. He does not. Um, um, when you It's were, a really important point.
2: Scotty, when you were – this is the last thing that I was thinking of is I was just like kind of taking in everything that you guys were talking about, which I've really enjoyed. I hope – I'm sure everyone else listening has appreciated it. Um, but uh, in Matthew 5, 17 – where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, and this is kind of speaking to that heartbeat bill, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Not that they're going to get chucked out, but they've not upheld the law that God has given. And I think allowing this this issue, especially as a people of God, when you were talking about women taking these pills and ordering these, like I saw an ad for one on another like YouTube or uh, whatever, but an ad for one where it comes with the pill, it comes with, you know, uh three different things. One of them was ibuprofen. Like who, grab it out of your thing. But it's like, it's, it's the illusion of this little care package that's going to give you your life back or at least not let it. And it's just this woman dancing, like, oh, I'm going to get to keep dancing. It it just, it's disturbing. It's, it's a lie and there's death behind it. And you can just imagine the enemy with this devilish grin on his face as women are, basically being shown a cartoon version of what what that is, Mm -hmm. right? And the woman herself in the ad or whatever. Um, But but letting the law of God stand and teaching because these women don't even have the ability to go to somewhere where they might see someone standing and praying, where they might be able to have a conversation. And so... Some of these, some of the return to the laws God set, which may be a better way of thinking of it, mm. is for us to stop trying to be creative and just stand on yeah. the laws he has already given us and trust him with the fruit of it. Um, but some of those getting in the way and giving conflict to that process would allow truth to be spoken. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then it's on us to let it be simple and black and white and clear.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, and I think in the church specifically, we've got to recover, a, you know, in, in the ancient world and particularly the biblical, the, the world of the scriptures and stuff, um, having children was a great blessing and a great honor. And it brought great meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction and a sense of purpose into life. And and I, And I think that's really something that we've, We've stripped away, we've we've put on women this idea that they need to go create meaning for themselves through achievement, through career, through, you know, all these other means. And 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 I'm not I'm not like anti-women having a career, anti-women working, all those things. Um but to act as if true meaning is found in earning and in contributing to the household income in this significant way or to in and, and, and having a level of advancement in a career. That you find meaning there and not in the nurturing of human life, is 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 actually anti-creation. It's anti-Gospel, and we've got to recover and reclaim some of that and and honor um, the 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 gift of motherhood, the calling of motherhood as a noble and um, and worthwhile investment of your whole life. Like, yeah. this is the most significant work any woman will ever do, is in the raising. Of her children, the giving of herself, and it will require everything Mm -hmm. of them. Um, As a mom who's married and has an involved husband and father, or as a single mom, either either way, obviously the one requires a lot more work. Um, And and then one last thing I'll say, just something that we had talked about, was like this other idea of like we've come to believe that if we haven't planned out, like the, the idea of family planning, and birth control has given us this this sort of illusion and, and perceived luxury that we have of, we get to decide when we do all these things. And until you're ready and until you're well-prepared and until you're well-funded and resourced in order to do these things in all the right ways, whichever, however we deem that as a culture, you shouldn't be doing it. So we think of it's irresponsible to bring a baby into the world if you don't have all these other ducks in a row.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and, um, you know, it might be irresponsible. Right. The
2: the argument isn't be unwise, go for it, do it any means necessary. But the expectation of affluence in our, in our society, especially tells us until you can be the best of all of these things, you shouldn't then add someone else to your life.
0: Right. And that's just simply not within a biblical worldview. That doesn't mean that we don't work hard, that we don't that we don't do you, you respond uh, plan responsibly and all those things in lots of different ways with life. But, um, you don't have to have all of life in a particular order, um, before you can bring a child into the world responsibly. Um,
2: and actually waiting until you do significantly decreases your ability to be fertile and have them.
0: Yeah. And it, it, there's something about we've had we've enjoyed the journey of having children while young eh, and while older, <laughs> uh, but but having them while <laughs> yeah. we were young. And it was the forced, <laughs> in, in a sense, it's the means by which God compelled me to grow up, right? I was a, mm-hmm. I was a boy with three boys at 23, and I had to grow oh, up, geez. you know. And that responsibility was catalytic for me and transformational for me to have to go, okay, I, I, I don't get to play around here. Like, I've got to, yes, do I have to die to myself? Yes, is it worth it? You bet. Been the best thing we've done in our lives. So, um, all right. So I, I don't know how to wrap it up, Scotty. I'm going to flip it to you for sort of the last words in closing, yeah. if I can.
1: Yeah, I, just along the lines of what you guys were saying, it made me think of um, Psalm 127, where it says, "Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord; the fruit of the womb, a reward." So it really is. It's a gift from God, and and we want if we don't want to just as as Christians, as a church, we don't want to just be Anti-abortion, we want to be like in the fullest meaning of the word pro-life. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and I was just thinking, Betsy, as you were talking about that idea that Jesus said of like I've come to to fulfill the law, and that whoever relaxes it is is going to like the the idea of the law. I think we sometimes have it, as we talk about all these things of like, oh, that seems harsh, or that's I don't know. I, I we have like, we kind of wince when we hear some of these things, um, but. The law is a good gift from God as well. Mm-hmm. Like, like Paul says that, even when he says he's wrestling in, in Romans, uh, he's, he says, I'm not saying that the law is bad. The law is good. It's just me that's bad.
2: Right. And so
1: so the law, it, it protects the innocent. It reveals God's character to us. It holds us back. It restrains our own evil. Yep. And when we do fail, when we do fall short, then it convicts us and it points us to Christ. It points us to our need for a Savior. And so, as we think about these things, we're not just here talking about this because we just care about laws and legislation and politics and all these things. We care about th- those things in as much as they they point us to Christ and they they reflect His heart. Um, so that's hope. That is our hope with all this. I know we've said a lot of things that um, could be deemed very controversial. And so, if you have questions or or doubts or like, I want as I as I research this and as I hold to this kind of position, I want to not have like a straw man of, of the other side. And so I want to truly hear any kind of opposition, um, and have like loving grace filled conversations. Like that's what the church is for. Um, yeah. so,
0: yeah. So if you hold to it, if, if, if you're not convinced, like mm-hmm. th- we want this to be a conversation, like yeah. we didn't get here overnight or because of one little thing we read or saw. like, so, um, so consider this, hopefully listening to this for you, the start of a conversation we'd love to have that as an ongoing conversation with you in person face to face and we're going to have some opportunities we think in the coming months to to learn some more about this to engage some more with this uh, with this issue organizations that we think share our values on this and and so forth some um some educational potentially events on this um so there's some things like that coming down the pipe i think too just you know as you talk about the law another thing we want to say is um look for for people for women who have had abortions we love you. Mm-hmm. We're concerned for you. We care for you. We want to see you genuinely experience healing and forgiveness. So this is not a place of condemnation. This is a place of, of, of grace, of new hope, of of possibility, of of finding in Jesus, uh, forgiveness for sin and and renewal and and the repurposing of broken things in your life for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to be agents of that. We want to help facilitate that in your life. Um, for, for those of you um, uh, who who might, uh, we have people here who are entering into fostering and adoption and all that. We champion that stuff. But we also want to recognize that for a lot of women who get pregnant the, the in, a, in a difficult circumstances, adoption is one way of valuing life. But there's other ways of encouraging them to have that baby and providing the necessary support should God put them in our pathways. We want to be for women in that situation that if your desire is to keep the baby, we want to help you do that. Um, we want so this is back to that whole life, pro life for the all, all of life, like kind of thing. And so, um, so yeah, uh, those are just things we want to make sure we communicate out. Like, like we're not going to all necessarily r- today agree on on this thing. And and there's a lot of things that we're going to have to learn to navigate together in the tension of this. It's a it's a cultural hot button issue. It's still a, a messy landscape that's getting sorted out. Um, uh broadly as well as in the narrowed field of the pro life camp. Um and we want to be constructively engaged in that process with people to help help move the ball forward. So mm-hmm. um all right, last word, anything? No. Thank you I for sticking it. with us for probably a couple hours. I don't even know how long <laughs> we've been doing this. Congratulations to you two on the longest episode ever contributing to that with honor. me. We all knew I would be a part of that. We didn't know you, you could two split would be it a part up into it. two different episodes and just <laughs> not have to film. I it's know.
2: It's already part two. We're That's just going to have a
0: long form convo about this. So. Okay. Um, I hope y'all <laughs> are helped by it. Um, I hope you're responsive to the spirit. Uh, for many of us, we might need to repent of some things, um, just mindsets. Um, as well as maybe decisions or different things like that. We, um, for some of us, we need to maybe continue the conversation offline in other contexts. We invite that. Um, anyway, we're grateful for you listening. Uh, Caleb, Natalie, congratulations on a baby. And uh, I think that's all we got for you this week. Peace out.